we're at American Clean Power in San Antonio, which is going to have about eight to 10,000 people from the looks of it. So it's going to be, Rosemary's going to be a really, really big show. Welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. I am your co-host, Alan Hall, here with Rosemary Barnes, all the way from <laughs> Australia. And we also have Joel Saxon from Wind Power Lab. Yeah, exciting. I came all this way. So yes. Be good. <laughs> In the 95-degree heat. Yeah, what's with the heat? Yeah. I was yeah. not expecting yeah. this. <laughs> it's really hot in San Antonio this week. I, I don't know how we manage it, because it's, it's the middle of May. Yeah. And it should be in the 80s, and it's 100-plus degrees right it's now. It's high 30s for everybody <laughs> out there who uses sensible temperature. <laughs> West Texas set records the last two weeks. The other weekend, it was the first or the earliest in the year they ever had triple-digit temperatures the three days in a row. Wow. So it's too hot. Yeah, and it's interesting because I saw um, when I was just last week, it was the first time I looked at the forecast to see what clothes that I should have with me. And I saw that they're already, they're giving, over the weekend, they were giving um, requests for people to please, you know, turn your thermostat up and, you know, not use the aircon if you didn't need to because yeah. they're worried about the grid already there was in, some, in I, May. I think I read yesterday, ERCOT had six plants go offline. Gas plants. Yep. You have to specify. Because yeah, gas plants. No, yes, matter, gas no plants. matter what it is that happens, you know it's renewables that are going to get the blame. <laughs> yes, this is true. This is true. Yeah, six gas plants had just kind of cascaded off. Yeah. Uh, last week. Yeah. yeah. And I think a, a coal one is still um, waiting to come back line after some, some maintenance as well. So, yeah. yeah. From yeah. Lincoln, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good week to have the, the conference. It's yeah, like, it what, is. What's <laughs> happening? Yeah. So today's Monday. We're recording on the Monday before the conference. Uh, there, we, were we are exhibiting on the show floor with Ping. So uh, we were, had access to the floor. There are a lot of of exhibitors at this conference. This is by far clearly the biggest conference in the United States, not even close. Uh, so Vestas, GE, all the big names are here. Um, Skyspecs and all the drone companies are here. It's just everybody, the Danish, Danish consulates here. It's a huge show. Uh, and I was surprised, I was thought when we walked in the, today, it was gonna be a little bit slow, just looking at the number of people on the outside, but it's 105, so you can't really tell because everybody's in the air conditioning. But when you walked in, there was just a massive amount of people, and that was just people registering. So I'm, I'm expecting, yeah, upwards of 8,000 people yeah. here this week. And I, I think that's good because we've had two years of really not seeing anybody. Mm. Yeah. And, and now we're, we're finally back to the point of everybody seems pretty comfortable being around one another. There was hardly a mask on the floor. Sorry, Rosemary, there was hardly a mask on the floor. I don't know what happens in Australia, but this is Texas. <laughs> so, so masks are really optional here for sure. And uh, I saw hand, people handshaking, which I thought was good. So the uh, COVID is still spreading around the United States, it clearly is, but at least people are starting to get some sense of normalcy. Yeah. I know last week Australia had the highest um, rate of positive tests in, um, in the world. So Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, my interpretation is it's because we we don't we haven't had a lot of it yet. Um, so yeah. you know yeah. it's all going to come now. But yeah, Australia is mostly moved away from masks. Although I'm trying to think, the last conference I went to in Australia, 
probably maybe 10% of people were wearing masks. You didn't have to. Wow. They, they okay. didn't make you take a test before you got in here. There's a two hour, <laughs> two hour long wait to get a COVID test before you're allowed inside. So yeah, I think they're taking it seriously. Yeah, they're definitely, the conference is definitely taking it seriously. And we have been to conferences in Texas. We were mm-hmm. at the Blades Conference. Joel and I were at the Blades Conference yep. and a couple of months ago down in yeah, Austin. Yeah. March. Was it March? March or February. February. Yeah. yeah, and there were no tests, <laughs> no requirements at all. It was totally Texas. So, uh, you know, American Clean Power is trying to do their best because there's, there's people coming from around the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's one that you could definitely see is yeah. there's people from all over. Uh, and that's a good thing for Texas and it's a good thing for wind. So that, that, that's really good. And, and there's some couple of news stories this week uh, that have popped up and we want to talk about some of them. The big one right now is SkySpecs. So SkySpecs is a huge drone company in the United States and abroad. I don't know if they're down in Australia, Rosemary. I don't know if you know I, I them down there. I haven't come across them down there, but it doesn't mean they're not there. I, I yeah. don't know everyone. I know in Europe, they're onshore, they're offshore. Uh, UK, all mainland Europe, everywhere you look, they've got some inspections going on. So they're based in, don't correct me if I'm wrong, they're based in Michigan, right? Yep, Ann Arbor, I think. Okay, Ann Arbor, that's right. Yeah, so we've had Danny Ellis on the podcast. He's their CEO. Uh, he was one of our first podcast guests probably two years ago now uh, when they were <laughs> probably fresh. A, yeah, they're still fresh. When they were an early startup. <laughs> right, yeah. right, they're Series A still, or pre-A. They may have been a pre-A, but now they had a $80 million investment from mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs and a, a number of other companies have invested into them. I think they're on Series E, so yeah, I don't know, Rosemary, if you had this stuff down in well, we Australia. We don't really have venture capital in Australia. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just uh, dig things out of the ground and um, wait for property prices to go up. That's how, that's how you make <laughs> that, money in Australia. That's the venture capital. <laughs> yeah, you don't need any venture capital for that. Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. So the, 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 there was a huge investment into SkySpecs. Uh, as SkySpecs has tried to transform itself from being a drone company mm-hmm. into more of a, a uh, automated inspection system. Yeah. And- they're adding in, I mean, a couple of years ago, they added in two other companies with some uh, AI knowledge, and they've expanded their Horizons platform uh, massively, right? They have more and more analytics capabilities. Um, and I, I think you could probably see that from some of that from this $80 million influx of cash as well. Uh, oh, yeah. What's, what's next, right? Horizons is a great platform. Everybody you talk to says it's... They love it. Uh, yeah, yeah love it. it's good. It's yeah. a good platform. So, so what kinds of, uh, what are they doing with it? What kinds of, they're doing um, predictive maintenance, checking for defects, what, what sorts of? Yeah, it was built on originally, um, you know, much like most of the drone companies that get a great AI to be able to classify defects and whatnot. But right. then it's like, okay, that, that's in the market. There's a mm-hmm. lot of companies doing that now. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? But are they doing it well? I, I mean, yeah. I'm just asking, <laughs> trying to play devil's <laughs> yeah, advocate yeah, yeah, yeah. because a lot of the work that I get pulled into with blade defects is because you know it's like oh we did all our inspections yeah. you know and then now all of a sudden yeah like a week after during inspection this blade just literally snapped in half what's yeah or, what's going on so I'm kind or of, our, our repair <laughs> campaign is going to be it says it's going to be 10 million dollars when it doesn't actually need to be um i'm not a sky specs customer so i can't speak to the the yeah. quality of the ai but um i mean the, their growth says yeah, I mean, it's right? so needed, and especially when we go offshore. I mean, oh, you absolutely. can't just send people up constantly yeah. to check on... Clean grease smudges and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, obviously, you have to have a lot of it for the AI to get, get better. So, yeah. But I'm interested to see, I don't know, figure out how they're measuring if they're you know, getting more accurate. That would yeah. be, maybe we should do a follow-up interview and, and find out what's, what's yeah. been going on in the last yeah. couple of years. Well, I think we'll probably see Danny on the floor and, and Tom Brady, who's our 
CFO. He was on, should be on the floor. Yeah, so we'll run across at the show. I, one of the things in America about venture capital like this is when you see uh, $80 million, and I think they have about $110 million yeah, total, invested yeah, into in like total. Usually in those situations, the investors are looking for somewhere between a 5 and a 10x multiple. Mm. So they're saying that the company is, in theory, worth about a billion dollars on the street, which is interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, like you, like you said, starting with uh, we're a drone company right. to growing. And I mean, you know, they, they've scaled so much, right? They're, they're all over the world doing these inspections. But inspections, as anybody that listens to the podcast that is an asset owner, they know where inspection prices are, are mm-hmm. right? You know, you're, you're not going to make a billion dollars on 250 and $300 inspections. No. So what are the value adds that they can bring? And I'm, I see yeah. that this uh, influx of cash, like I said, may, may, may spur on some. Uh, further development and uh, what what can we do with all this data we're collecting and and the possibilities there. So mm. I see it good for the whole industry. Yeah, it it, it could be good. It could, <laughs> yeah, I think the weird part about it is, and and rightly so. If if you're in Skyspec's shoes and you see the economy starting to go south, the first thing you want to do is gather as much cash up as yeah. you can to to give yourself runway right mm. and so that gives them at least 24 to 36 months of capital mm-hmm. to get through this downturn that's coming and i, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, it just is unusual because i think some of the wind turbine companies themselves may not be valued that high there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of companies in wind <laughs> yeah that don't right? have that kind of valuation yeah GE is losing money right now unfortunately yeah. and we need ge uh so it's weird to see a, a sort of a drone maintenance company valued more than well, an OEM. And they're just an, I mean, not, I'm not going to say just an inspection company because they do other things as well, right? But they're, they don't actually go fix the blades or, or maintain brakes or anything not like yet. that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah not yet. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of those service companies. I would say the majority of service companies in the industry aren't valued at that. Oh, that's true. You know? Yeah. And, those yeah. Are the, and that's what has to keep, keep the assets up and moving. Well, one of the one of the interesting things I saw this week uh, about the, when that announcement was made was that Skyspecs has inspected, or I, I want to use the word controls, but probably is not the right term, but has inspected forty five percent of North America's wind turbines. Yeah, and that equals what thirty five thousand and change. Yeah, something like that. Right. So you have thirty five thousand wind turbines at. $10 each, $100 each, whatever that multiple is. I'm not sure how much it costs to do yeah. an inspection anymore. It's yeah. Probably a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, two, yeah, I mean, you can get them done 250 to 350 depending on mold. Okay. So, yeah, you start doing those multiples, and yeah. that, that's not small. It's, it's a decent amount of money. So mm-hmm. the, the, there is a business there. And if they can get into more of the automated uh, inspection, mm-hmm. predictive, and, Rosemary, you're totally right. I think if they get into predictive analysis, then the valuation really does get pushed up there quite a bit, but it's, it's yet to be seen. So it's just one of those really weird stories to see in wind because you just don't see a lot of venture capital happening in renewable energy like it, it should. Yeah, when you do see it. Mm-hmm. You see yeah, it being done badly. <laughs> well, yeah. So we were just talking about uh, another uh, company that's involved in, in uh, renewable energy, which is one of Rosemary's favorites. is <laughs> called Energy Vault. So Rosemary, you wanted to explain what Energy Vault is or was or yeah. <laughs> wherever it is right now. So Energy Vault, it, um, it's an energy storage company and it's gravity storage and they basically take heavy blocks and they um, they winch it up and then, um, yeah, they do that when they've got too much electricity. So they use some electricity to raise the block up 
And then when they want to generate electricity, they lower it down and um, yeah, get some electricity back that way. And I first became interested when I was thinking I'd been living in, <laughs> I'd had one too many winters in Denmark, was trying to, <laughs> trying to move somewhere else in Europe. And I heard of this company in a beautiful, beautiful part of Switzerland um, working on energy storage. It's like, oh, I'll go work there. So, and this was Energy Vault. So I looked into it and um, yeah, I saw they had a little prototype. It's just uh, like a, a crane set up with a, 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 like a steel drum filled with concrete and they had use that to demonstrate that you can, you know, basically generate electricity in that way, yeah. which was not a surprise to anyone because, I mean, <laughs> normal, right. a lot of normal cranes have, um, you know, some regenerative charging capabilities. Mm -hmm. sure. So, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised that they felt like that was an important part of their design to test. Um, they've been through another, another prototype, which I actually saw when I was on a mountain biking trip in the area one time. It's right near the border with Italy. It's just the most beautiful, beautiful place. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird place to do a demo, but yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really funny, actually, because it's surrounded by mountains. And um, you're like, well, there's no better place to put in hydro, which is, you know, the other go. kind of gravity yeah. storage. <laughs> um, but, of course, they envision it for places where you don't have um, any elevation difference to take advantage of. And so I got in touch with them because by then I'd started my YouTube channel and I thought that mm -hmm. would make a good, uh, good episode for Engineering with Rosie. So sure. I got in touch and they said, yeah, um, great. Um, we'd love for you to make a, a video. Um, I said, fantastic. Can I have an interview? Yes, sure. Uh, I sent them through some example questions that I wanted to ask. And then, oh, actually, uh, everyone's really busy at the moment. I <laughs> can't get in touch. And it was just like really simple questions like, that their initial plan, they had these concrete blocks and they would just stack them up like a, right. um, I want to say like a Jenga tower, but a Jenga tower is quite stable because, you know, like the, the blocks are long and they right. kind of interlock. And these ones, it was just more like if you just get those, you know, like two by two Lego blocks and just stack them one on top of each other, it was more like that, but without the, the little knobs to lock <laughs> it in. So one of my questions was, you know, you're going to build a hundred meter tall tower just with concrete blocks uh, stacked on top of each other right. how how do you make sure that's not going to fall over and make sure that you know whatever you don't kill somebody there goes all the energy <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> in a way you don't want yeah and what local council is going to say yeah that's cool we'll just let you build and rebuild these hundred meter tall buildings with no you know reinforcement <laughs> what do you do when it's windy you know because they've got these blocks mm. on cranes and cranes don't operate when it's windy so it was just really simple questions like that and then they wouldn't answer then a year or so later when i was doing a live stream on gravity energy storage i got in touch again they have a new concept now it doesn't look like the old one now it looks like a big warehouse with blocks on uh, like racks they go up and down yes, so i guess yeah. that gets rid of both of those the wind problem and the the other one but you know i just had some questions like does this exist or is it you know is beyond model, beyond right? i mean i know that everything on the internet is just a computer rendering um and again very enthusiastic to help me out until I sent them the list of questions. And then and they're like, oh, no, we can't actually share information now that we're publicly uh, listed. And I oh, thought, yeah, right. that sounds like contrary to my understanding of a publicly listed com company right. where you have to share certain <laughs> amounts of information. Sure. Yeah. So now, I mean, as, um, yeah, as you saw, <laughs> so maybe you can explain what's, what's happened so now. So they're, they're embroiled in a, in a class action lawsuit. So as the story goes, a uh, legal firm, Edelman Strunk has filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of investors due to alleged stock price inflation scheme. So this is all alleged at the moment. There's been no settlement of this, but 
the announcement that they made uh, that the, they're accusing Energy Vault of paying a, a company called DG Fuels a million dollars. And in return, DG Fuels agreed to buy over $500 million worth of Energy Vault products. So if you saw a half a billion dollars of potential purchases, that would really bolster your yeah. stock price. Yeah. I mean, and that's not a, a good game to play. So what the lawsuit says is that uh, DG Fuels is just a, basically a shell company, has no revenue, and couldn't afford half a billion dollars of anything. And that, that wasn't disclosed to the investors. So now as an investor, uh, first of all, that's a securities law violation yeah, for sure. SEC is going to hammer that if it is true. And then it's just going to take it, like we were talking earlier, I think it'll take the stock to zero, unfortunately, if, it, if the accusation is true, even if it's not true. It's going to hurt their stock tremendously. So uh, it's, it's a big deal because we've had, there, there was a recent case down in Arkansas where there was a, basically a, a fraud case where uh, a couple of guys were trying to sell wind turbines and then didn't actually have a, have a company. <laughs> they had this new wind turbine design. They got a lot of investors and then nothing. They had nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they ended up going to jail. So you just don't want to see that because you, you know that there is so much activity in renewables. That's just going to be these fringe cases of bad actors. And that's not helpful to the industry. Yeah, I agree. That's what annoys me about um, Energy Vault is that, you know, there's a ton of other companies doing even very similar energy storage, gravity sure. storage. There's Gravitricity, there's um, Eris in the U.S. who have like oh, a, yeah. a rail energy yep. storage system. And, and there's others. Um, and when I talk to their engineers, you know, like they're very forthcoming with, the, you know, the, the challenges that they've solved and sure. the ones that remain and their timeframes and everything. Whereas Energy Vault are only interested in, in marketing and, and not, um, not anything else when, you know, when I've got in touch and I haven't heard any different from other, other people working in engineering communication. And yeah, just it, it frustrates me. This is the same with you know the some electric car companies as well that are you, you know doing similar things. It's like you can draw a nice picture of a, a car, or you can draw a nice picture of an energy storage system, even animate it. You know, any um, like first year engineering student can can produce <laughs> that nice in, in SolidWorks yeah. or something. Yeah, and then people go crazy for for these technologies. And I just I really worry one that the money isn't going to the companies that that need it. I mean, engineering, right. hardware, technology, new technology development. It's a it's a slow, expensive process. You need yeah. patient money in there. And if you you know try and do the this alternative model where companies just focus on the marketing first and the product is like a secondary thing. I just worry it's gonna, yeah, like destabilize. Yeah, destabilize everything. Yeah. In the renewable space, we're we're sometimes fighting up an uphill battle against bad propaganda as well, right? Mm. Right. And then you end up with, like you said, bad actors. It, it hit me uh, with a, like a little bit of a light bulb in the head. Is I read an article not too many weeks ago about there was a company, um, and they were in the Midwest, and it was solar roof panels. And they're oh, yeah. they coming through saying, like, we can install this, we can install that, it's, yeah. your, your bill will go to zero, and then they come and install it, and then when their bill's not going to zero or they're saving $5 a bill, then people start calling, what's going on here? And then they do investigations, and the general public doesn't see that, you know, like, you should have your solar panels on the south-facing roof of your house, <laughs> and they install them yeah. on the north side, and then they're like, oh, cut the trees next to your house, and you'll get it then, and, and it was what ended, there's a big class action lawsuit going on against the company. And I can't remember what it was, yeah. but it was because they had, they had basically bamboozled people mm -hmm. um, by promising them the world and then 
just taking their money and running with it, right? So it's that uphill battle that we already have to fight in the renewables industry. Right. It's, it's such, yeah. a, such a pain that something else is going on like that. Yeah, and, and especially at the ACP this week, uh, one of the things I'm interested in, in walking around and seeing, and Rosemary, you probably walk around too. I know, Joel, you're going to be doing a lot of legwork this week, yeah. is to see where all the new tech is, right? And, and hopefully we see some good new tech out there because we need some good positive feelings in renewables. And, and I feel like we're at a little bit of a lull, weirdly enough. Uh, after coming out of the pandemic, it, it feels like we should be going and, we, and we're just kind of getting started. So uh, hopefully we'll see something this week. Yeah, well, I've got a I've got a media pass for for this conference, which I'm I'm really of course. Here we go. Okay, <laughs> this is my first my first one. It was your suggestion to try and get it. Um, I didn't. It was a good idea. Yeah. That's it's not a good idea. Actually, it was a good idea. I'm just. But aside from saving the money on the, the pass, um, the really cool thing is that my name must be on a, a list of media, and so yes. companies have been getting in touch with me, and they're nearly all energy storage companies. So, really? Yeah. So I don't know if that's because I've been covering it a bit recently on the channel, but um, yeah, yeah, lots. I mean, some of them not so exciting um, in terms of new technology. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the energy tr transition is about the less exciting things, you know, like we have already got batteries and we've already got solar panels. That's and, true, you true, know, true. Uh, and wind turbines. And so it is a lot about combining them and using them in the best way. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what's, what's in there on energy storage. Yeah. 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 So let's, we're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we have a, a, a couple of techie stories that... Uh, Ping Monitor is a continuous blade monitoring system which allows wind farm operators to stay ahead of maintenance. Wind techs can often hear damaged blades from the ground, but they can't continuously monitor all the turbines. They also can't calculate how bad the damage is or how fast it's propagating based on sound, but Ping can. Ping's acoustic system is being used on over 600 turbines worldwide. It allows operators to discover damage before it gets expensive and prioritize maintenance needs across their fleet. And it pays for itself the first time it identifies serious damage or saves you from doing an unnecessary visual inspection. Stop flying blind out there. Get Ping's ears on your turbines. Learn more at pingmonitor.co. We're going to dive into, so we'll be right back after this short break. Well, welcome back. Uh, this is the Uptown Podcast, and we have Rosemary in the United States, hard to believe. And, and Rosemary, I thought we had a prohibition there for a while because you couldn't come to the States or wouldn't come to the States or <laughs> COVID was the reason. We weren't allowed out of Australia. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So. The Australian government. It wasn't even the American government, which would be totally fine with being upset with. But no, it's your own government keeping you locked in country. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard for me to get into Australia when I was trying to get back from Denmark. And then it was impossible to leave once. I knew that once I, I went, yeah, then I wouldn't be able to leave again, which is a pretty weird situation. But over well, now. So I guess since we said the word COVID, uh, we're going to get flagged by YouTube. But at this point, <laughs> screw it. So one of the things about now that, now that you're actually here in America, one of the things that we always saw about Australia was you guys were locked down and police were out in the streets and, and keeping people off the streets. And maybe that's a Western Australia phenomenon. But uh, that's what that, we saw in the, in the U.S. press here. It happened a little bit, for, but, but for the most part, because they had hard lockdowns, there wasn't a lot of lockdowns. 
So okay, for the most part, and definitely not Western Australia. Western Australia like really <laughs> carefully locked their borders down, which is you know their their dream in any sort of time. Yeah. You know they've got a bit of a Texas vibe about them. They want to <laughs> they want to do their own thing. And good I, on I them. don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> um, and they did it very successfully. And they had I don't know if you added up all the lockdown they had, it was minimal, absolutely minimal in Western Australia. Beyond hmm. the first the first one at the very start of the pandemic, yeah. they were basically free. So. Um, when it when it works, it works. But then now you see, you know, what's happening in in China is a, a certain point where you have to realize that it's not worth it anymore. And you know, as we got the new um, variants that were just so much more contagious, it, you know, yeah, n- nowhere in Australia is trying to trying to maintain COVID zero anymore. So well, good. Yeah. Well, because well, we're pleased to have you in America, and <laughs> you were, you've traveled around the world a little bit here. We won't discuss where, but it seems like are the travel restrictions. <laughs> Pretty much free and in, in sort of the um, yeah, Western so Hemisphere? Or? I was in, um, so, so on this trip, I came through Costa Rica and Mexico on the way here. So I'm looking a bit more brown. You might be able to tell. <laughs> Isn't it sunny in Australia? <laughs> it's not more sunny in Costa Rica, the, is it? We've had just the worst summer in Australia. It's been, um, I mean, it's over now, but we just, it's a La Nina year, which means we get a lot of water and we just had floods like. Oh, wow. Okay. One in 500 year flood after one in 500 year flood. It just, it's been relentless. Not where I live. I live, it's, um, you know, 600 metres above sea level and in some rolling hills in Canberra. So we don't have floods up there. But, um, yeah, a lot of northern New South Wales and Queensland is is having really, really shocking, Ooh. shocking time. Um, and it's happening more and more often. Like there's people whose houses have, were washed away in the floods, you know, like four or five years ago that um, rebuilt and um, lost their home again. And so, yeah, it's a it's a big topic of conversation Um about how much more we can expect these sort of things to happen and um yeah like whether you should rebuild the same every time now and what climate statistics to use for your planning right, you yeah, know, sure, you yeah. used to use the past as a guide yeah. for what a one in 500 year flood might look like and where you should build a town and now it's kind of becoming clear that that doesn't make sense but what's the better option just invent you, you know no one really knows exactly yeah. how things are going to work out there's a reevaluation out. somewhere that needs to happen yeah, yeah yeah definitely um so yeah it's it's not been anyway in summer it's not been a great summer in australia we didn't see a lot of sun out on the the east side anyway um but yeah in in costa rica it was very hot and humid and people are still wearing masks around most places there. really yeah, and in Mexico, very hot, not nearly as humid, and no masks anywhere except for when I went in to get my COVID test. Then I had to wear a mask, and in the airport. Yeah. In the airport, sure. Airports everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that's well. At least so I guess in some part of the world we're starting to lighten up a little bit, and some parts are still kind of in lockdown. You know, China obviously been in some sort of yeah really restrictive lockdown, at least parts of it. And I didn't know if that also kind of flowed down to to Australia, but it didn't sound like that is at all. No, wow. no, it's too, okay. it, you can't go back um, once. Yeah, uh, once I, I'm with forward. you. Yeah, yeah we, we kind of need to move forward. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one of the things about Australia that I saw, Orsted is um, going to create coral reefs with their winter bases. Like they're going to just like green light it and like, all right, fish, whatever, have at it. <laughs> These bases are yours, and, which is un- unusual because there's, there's always been a little bit of concern about that, mm-hmm. about whether it should make the bases. And, and I know we have talked about that a couple of times, but it just seems so odd because, you know, Australia has done a really good job on its coral reefs and also trying to, well, I mean, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of the ecology, like they're, they're, they're paying a lot of attention to it. 
I Ooh. watch Finding Nemo. I've seen movies. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, a good documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do love that that film, especially the seagulls. They got that just, just right. Um, yeah, no, the uh, the government's been doing pretty badly with the the Great Barrier Reef. At least they're having a fight about you know whether it should be listed as threatened or not. Um, there were big. They have solved some big problems. There was a big problem with um, agricultural runoff, um, chemicals right. uh-huh. causing problems, and then right. they have really done a lot of work to get that under control. So that, that you know, deserves credit for the government and all the farmers involved who sure. have worked to, to, yeah, improve that. But we still do see coral bleaching event after coral bleaching event, and the government, I mean, the federal government won't do anything much about climate change, which is the most important thing. Um, and then, you know, they'll do things like announce large amounts of money to be spent saving the reef. It turns out that, you know, the money's gone to some company that has one employee, you know, it's got 500 million, yep. million or I don't remember the exact number, but a lot of money to deal with. And I just saw on Twitter, I didn't get a chance to look at the, the details, but apparently one of the big projects that the, um, you know, reef preservation money is going towards is developing heat resistant coral strains. You know, that's not the point. That's, that's not the, the preservation. Point. That's yeah. not the point. We, we have a Great Barrier Reef with coral in it. Like we can't just write that off and you know start again with a new designer kind of coral. Like no, but it's it, not okay with me. So if so, what's what's the big offshore wind farm that's going to start in Australia? They're away further south. Yeah, much further south. Yeah. So there there aren't um, many plans that I've seen to put. Um, offshore wind uh, up around the Barrier Reef because it's all in northern Queensland, right. so like quite quite far up. Um, there, there are the, if, if you look at the map that shows where people are, you know, kind of interested. There are some around, kind of close, but in general, the Barrier Reef is, you know, it's a World Heritage Site. You sure. shouldn't do anything with it. Sure. It doesn't stop people trying to, you know, dredge it to put in a new coal export port and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. So, I think yeah. that uh, like the <laughs> the report that came out about. Um, Block Island being good for the fish habitat, right? Right. So that's a, that's a, a passive thing, right? So you have jackets and foundations out there, and it's great for the fish around it. But my mind goes to, and I think it's fantastic what Orsett is trying to do to rebuild some of the coral reefs and like see if we can use this for something else. But my past of offshore oil and gas makes me think we spent millions of dollars removing barnacles and and yes, growth right. and all this stuff from all of the subsea assets because it may uh, affect their um, you know, durability. It may affect that coral might eat right. into a coating. And then once the coating is gone on a jacket, then you're into the metal. Then you have issues with, you know, it, there's engineering Corrosion, issues there. Right. Corrosion and all these yeah. different things. So there's the oil and gas companies for, for, you know, the last 50, 60 years offshore have been fighting marine growth on there. So now we're switching gears and going, let's try it. Yeah, um, I, like I said, I think it's a great, a great idea, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm not an engineer in Orsted's back office, so I don't know if they've. Yeah, so what is their plan? What's what's their still plan? Uh, they they're going to put some like it's calcium, right? Yeah, there's like there's calcium. some larva, like larva that can can grow, mm-hmm. right? And they grow, you know, of course you can seed it basically. Yeah, so they're basically seeding right now. What I think the plan is is they're going to have people, uh, some some really brave rope access technicians, um, in the basically in the surf zone putting this stuff on. Um, and then hopefully it takes place and they're doing it in Taiwan. So the waters are warm and, oh, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. um, but like really cool. Uh, you know, I think coral reefs don't grow that well in the North sea. So no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good that they're doing it down in Taiwan. Um, but we'll see what happens. But uh, even they, even it seems like anywhere we drop, 
old ships, yeah, pylons, anything yeah. into the ocean. There has been a, a boon for fish. I, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this, and I decided to look up like where are the fish? Like, there's a huge vast ocean, and most of the fish are near the shorelines, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That they're mm-hmm. not in mm-hmm. the middle of the yep. ocean because there's a tendency to think, oh, the fish are everywhere. That's not the case, and mm-hmm. so anywhere there's sort of life, right, is where fish will propagate, and then you kind of create this ecosystem. To the point of, I don't know if you saw the latest news from the ocean cleanup. Have you have you guys followed the yeah. ocean cleanup? Where in the, in the Great Pacific garbage patch? Is that mm-hmm. the right terminology? Mm-hmm. So there's a concern. There was an article written uh, in the New York Times. I think it was in the New York Times saying if they pull that plastic out of the ocean, they may change the ecology of all the sea life around it, mm-hmm. and it may destroy that sea life. And the the people at Ocean Cleanup were like. You gotta be kidding me, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So it's, it's false. It's a false ecosystem, right? It's an ecosystem yeah. that's it's sort of based on having plastic out there. Mm. Yeah, that's not healthy either. So, you know, there's a, there's just this weird balance between uh, ecology and yeah. society. And also another factor is climate change. I'm I'm pretty sure, in what I've seen of that, you do better to just leave the plastic there than to drive out there in a fossil fuel powered so? ship. I think it's uses a lot of a lot of fuel to catch not that much plastic and plastic that's They're capturing just, tons of it. Yeah, yeah but the plastic was just sitting there it, so that's why i say you got to well, you know from the climate point of view plastic is just sitting there is you know that's a carbon store <laughs> that's storing that, sure. that's carbon capture and use your big plastic sure. garbage patch um so it's 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 all these competing things it's a really interesting kind of like you know as a environmentalist it's hard to know <laughs> where to fall on that on that issue because it's doing yeah. harm to some things that i care about and helping some things that i care about so it's like yeah it's, it's not a single variable problem no right right, right. you right. get to look at it that way <laughs> right, there's, right, there's right. multi-variables i think the reason that they started the ocean cleanup was because they were detecting uh microplastic yeah in everywhere fish. <laughs> like, everywhere yeah, they're in people too. That sounds like well, a PhD project for someone. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like the, the viability of it. Yeah. You know, speaking of like in the spirit of our location, we're in San Antonio here. There's a we're we're close to the Gulf of Mexico. Right. There's a ton of fishermen all along the Gulf of Mexico that will tell you the best place to fish, run forty miles out and fish on the platform. Oh well, sure. That's where they catch that's all the, the reds. Are. That's where all the fish are, right? So that's right. what the guys are. And I talked to a friend of mine uh, that fishes every weekend. He said I didn't. I don't need a study on Block Island to tell you that uh, jacket is where the fish are going to be. He said, I, I can tell you that every weekend. He said, you can come to my di- house on Sundays and have dinner. <laughs> so there's a, there, I guess there's a, 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 that's a really good point, Rosemary. I hadn't, um, remember that the ocean cleanup when they first started, and I'll, I'll say this about them, is that it was not ship powered. Right? The whole goal of that system was to be just kind of free floating, wind powered, and then mm-hmm. They got into an issue where it just wouldn't collect consistently, and they needed to bring the ships in. So there's still a possibility. I think they're still looking at that as being just let the winds move it where it will. But I think that's fair. I'm not sure. I'm super worried about the ships burning some diesel at the for the time being. Mm. I'm more yeah. interested in what they're doing in the the rivers to stop the, the garbage that's getting out there. To me, I think that's the much more impactful thing to, I, to do. I agree with you. Yeah. So I, I think you're right about that, is that uh, they were going after a thousand rivers. Mm. They were going to try to, one of them, outside Philadelphia, of yeah. all places. Right. Um, so they're going to go after a thousand rivers, which are the leading contributors to the, the plastic coming into the ocean. Mm. So there they may be, between those two things, they're going to dramatically change what's happening in the ocean. Mm. 
And just like horses is trying to do, they're trying to have a positive effect in the ocean. Mm-hmm. It may work out, it may not. Mm-hmm. Something to keep an eye on. So we're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back, we'll have some more. Up top. Lightning is an act of God, but lightning damage is not. Actually, it's very predictable and very preventable. Strike Tape is a lightning protection system upgrade for wind turbines made by WeatherGuard. It dramatically improves the effectiveness of the factory LPS so you can stop worrying about lightning damage. Visit weatherguardwind.com to learn more, read a case study, and schedule a call today. Time news, and we'll see you after the break. Welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. We are here in San Antonio, and one of the big news stories of the last week has been that on the offshore leases. There's been a lot of offshore leases in the United States. Some of them off the East Coast have went for $4 billion, one mm-hmm. particular sale. And, and Joel, there was another sale just recently down yeah. in North Carolina? North or South, I couldn't remember which one. Yeah, but yeah, about $300 million in total. Yeah. So there, the, these offshore leases are huge in terms of the amount of money that is going into a plot of ocean. And the rights for it. Just for the rights, <laughs> yeah, right? Just for yeah. the rights. As we had Kevin Ewing on, Rosemary, you weren't on that episode, but Rosemary, um, we had Kevin Ewing on, who is an attorney involved in with these leases, and that was a really good episode. And I've watched that episode a couple of times because there's so much in, in that episode. But uh, what Kevin Ewing was saying was, it's a competitive bid to get to allow you to then progress down the pathway of possibly maybe having some wind turbines in the ocean. There's a lot of hurdles to get through. And I know we've seen that with Vineyard Wind. It's mm-hmm. had some struggles there. The, uh, and the amount of money that people are paying for these offshore leases is a, to me, it seems like a huge risk. That uh, all it takes is one election and you could be in a lot of trouble. Um, not to say that the legal framework wouldn't protect you, but uh, particular politicians could really slow you down, I think. And yeah. there's a lot of money to make up. Um, you know, I worry <laughs> about the cost of the right, <laughs> electricity yeah. that's going to come out of these yeah. wind farms because they've, you know, they've got a high starting point. Um, you know, they do. It's, it's a lot of faith in a lot of things, I think. And one of them is uh, this conversation I've had with a few colleagues is we still don't have a supply chain mm-hmm. in the U.S. for offshore wind. We have zero. Like people are diligently working on it, right? There's different ports and some quayside facilities and people have plans to develop them. And, right. But, you know, like the, you know, a lot of parts still coming from overseas. And then you have the Jones Act stuff. Like there's so many variables that they throw $4 billion at the chance right. <laughs> to develop something, right? I mean, like buying a piece of land and saying like, you might be able to build a house on it. You might not. So, um, it's a piece yeah. of real estate. You're buying a piece yeah, of real estate. Basically, yeah, the, the, the rights to try to do something. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, which is, uh, just a little foreign to us because we're not involved in that industry too much, but, uh, so Eversource, which is a, a, a large uh, energy provider up in the Northeast, has had a partnership or does have a partnership with Orsted uh, to develop uh, three different sites. And they also has some, uh, so they were involved in South Fork and a couple of others, uh, wind projects that are in process. And then they have another lease there, uh, not a huge one, but it's a decent sized lease. So what's happening now is Eversource is realizing that has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. All those projects have a lot of book value. And because the market is so hot that they're thinking about selling. So they own about 50% of this development. So it's a joint partnership with Orsted. And the head of Eversource is, is saying, I'll, I'll quote it here, in light of the record-setting prices, Joel, here you go. Yeah. In light of the record-setting prices in the recent federal lease auction for tracks around the New York Bight and the evolving landscape, 
we're conducting a fulsome review of our interest in the joint venture with Orsted to assess alternatives that will allow us to create shareholder value and continue building a leading clean energy company that is wholly supportive of our region's climate change goals. Joe Nolan, uh, the Eversource president said. So <laughs> that's a lot of words to say. There's a lot of value in this, in this holding that we have. We Maybe we ought to load it. Yeah. Maybe we flip it. Maybe we flip it. You know, and, and we don't know what, what the ideas behind plans are, right? They do a review. So here's a, here's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. In when we're talking about permitting and the supply chain and all sure. these different things that get in place, before uh, first energy comes out of that wind farm, say South Fork or Resolution, right. Sunrise, whichever they're in, before first energy comes out there, are we looking at 2026? Uh, I think South Fork is getting close. I mean, they're, they're putting cable in the streets in the Hamptons, which is a big okay. problem. Okay. okay. So it's yeah. getting fairly close. But I mean, like this, so this offshore thing with, with Orsted, it's, there's a lot, there's, there's 500. Well, there's risk. There's 500, say, say, I don't know, I don't know exactly what the value is, but say, even we'll say a hundred million just for, for, for play sake. Sure. If there's a hundred million dollars worth of Eversource's capital tied up in, in their investment with Orsted. Sure. That's a hundred million dollars of the capital that they may be able to put into somewhere where they get clean energy to market faster tomorrow or the it's next possible. day or six months. No, not easily. Because when I look at these projects, yeah. Yeah, they've got the, the right to have this space of ocean. Right. There's so much work to do. To be done, It's yeah. not just, just risky. It's, you know, it's hard. Have they got the, the staff? Or, you know, it's, it's hard yeah. to get the right people at the moment. It's hard it's to get all the materials that you need. It's hard to get the permits that you need. It all sounds very hard. And, you know, just, just flipping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, just, just flipping this like bit of paper, that sounds yeah. very easy. So hey. and <laughs> I kind of get behind it on that basis. And the, cap the capital turnaround might be you know, more advantageous for them. And like I said, who knows? Maybe they're, maybe they're uh, putting a plan together to put more clean energy into the grid quicker. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, up in the Northeast right now, there's a ton of solar projects going on. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining that's where they're going to go. Is they're going to push more solar projects? Mm -hmm. uh, who, who could really say? And the, 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 the they're really the, the crossroads that's happening now in the States, Rosemary, is um, like New York is turning off all its nuclear plants. And California was supposed to turn off its yeah. nuclear plants. And now they're sort of reconsidering. California in particular is reconsidering that. Mm. There, there has to be some sort of balance. And I'm wondering if they're, I'm wondering if, if they're looking at the portfolio as saying it may not be as balanced mm -hmm. as it needs to be for the energy demands in the Northeast. The Northeast is a Huge Sink, energy source, yeah. right? You got Philadelphia, New yeah. York, Boston, Baltimore, Washington D.C. You got these massive. Look at the nighttime maps of the <laughs> northeast part of the U.S. It just glows, it glows. You know, there's no, you don't get to see stars as well there as you do in Texas, right? So <laughs> there's there there is a, a big draw there, and I don't, I'm not sure if they're trying to push a renewable future, which they clearly said they are doing. How they're going to power that, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm wondering if they're trying to change the mix. Hydro is one of those things they're probably involved in. Uh, nuclear, it seems like it'd be back on the table again just yeah. because of the, yeah. the variable wind and solar sources. Who knows? But uh, how, I, there is probably, well, you're probably right, Joel. There's probably a billion dollars worth of value sitting there on the table yeah. that they could sell today mm. if they, for, for the right buyer. Yeah, and, and presumably whoever buys it is going to develop these projects. Otherwise, yeah, absolutely. Well, the know, projects will go forward. The money for, so oh, sure. Yeah, the, still end yeah. up with that window. Yeah. That and I, I would imagine that somewhere uh, in Orsted's, the belly of Orsted's contract writers, that they get first rate refusal on this thing. Mm -hmm. Surely. Uh, so, Surely so it'll still go. And Orsted, I mean, world class team, 
for developing offshore yeah, wind. Unbelievable. You know, the best of the best. So yeah. they'll it'll, it'll that'll still go forward. It's just maybe there's some more capital that gets allocated somewhere else in the Northeast, and it's good for everybody. Well, that, that, that brings up the other half of this equation, right, which is Orsted. Orsted right now has been steadfastly marching forward with renewables. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have not really backed out of any project. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of other companies sort of hedge their bets or slow down yeah. projects. Orsted still, still seems to be going full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. And, and that's remarkable because just the economic conditions they're in, they do, they do not seem to be fluctuating yeah. at all on their drive for more renewables. Yeah. Like if if you want to listen to a fantastic leader speak, Mads Nipper, any of the, anything that he puts out, I mean, that was a change over a year ago or so. Um, the company's just been moving forward, and you know, cool project. Like we talked earlier in the episode about the thing in Taiwan. Like they're doing, they're they're moving, they're setting the bar. They they really are, and that, I guess that's good because you need yeah. stability there. And as we're uh, at ACP this week, we're going to be hearing a lot more about the. What some of these operators are up to, and you know, the, the, we'll talk about it when we're out on the show floor this week. Hopefully, we'll have uh, a number of people to talk to about uh, renewables and what they're working on. But there is there there has to be some balance here, right? And I'm just not sure where that balance line is. And if this is gonna be a really odd show. I think it's going to be a really odd show because when we come back to next year's, and next year's is in New Orleans. I, know it's I really want to go to New Orleans. So, okay. <laughs> I don't Talk know about a place I, that floods a lot, that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, We're there the in the winter, so it's better. For the, for the music, do they have a, just a crazy jazz scene there? Oh, yeah. I, they do. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm keen to, to come back. I don't know if I can justify two years in a row. but uh, Mi- Minneapolis is the year after. No, it's not. Are you serious? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why are we in Minneapolis? <laughs> well, at least it's May and not February. There's <laughs> <laughs> still snow on the ground in Minneapolis. <laughs> That's true. Why are we not in Vegas? I've been to Vegas. I love Vegas. We got to get on some committees. Well, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know if it's Minneapolis. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, Minnesota is fine, it, but in like July, it's great. I'm not sure about <laughs> When the May. mosquitoes come out. Right. Yeah. That. That's true. But yeah, so next year, we're going to get the lay of the land here. And then next year in New Orleans, you're going to wonder what's new, who's here, who's mm-hmm. not, how much the landscape has changed. The U.S. is in a really odd place of being in recession and yeah. then having crazy amount of inflation. Yeah. Some of these companies we see here this week are not going to be here a year from now. No. You know, one of, the, one of the cool things I've seen uh, talking within my network as well is a few more solar operators coming here this year. I have seen solar operators, yeah. So, so that's, I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of big companies that do both, right? But to see some specific solar service companies and some other things like that starting to get in more into the ACP spirit of things. Well, that's, um, that was the point of ACP, yeah, right? Yeah, it was American great. Wind Energy Association that went to ACP, yeah. so it covers all renewables. Yep. Smart move on. And, and the ACP hot topic, like, you, like we were talking about earlier, a hot topic that I'm hearing as well is storage. Whether storage. It's, whether it's batteries, whether it's cool innovation projects, someone yeah. trying to do something, a lot of battery stuff. Um, a and, lot of battery stuff. And there's not really, a, from my understanding, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, huge precedents set for how it's installed, what what uh, kind of safety things are around it, and all yeah. that stuff. So that's a developing um, developing trend as well, and we'll see where that goes. Hopefully, there'll be some cool information around that. Today. Yeah, I think we need it soon because I mean, up until now, um, like for household batteries at least, it it really the economics didn't stack up. You yeah. kind of you know you would take as long to pay back your investment as the battery warranty was. Right, right. Um, so it's tipped into positive territory now for, you know, your expected return on your investment, but it's still not like, 
super attractive, but in yeah. the next two or three years it will be, and then we need to make sure that it gets rolled out right. Because I think it's really interesting to compare solar in Australia compared to the US. In Australia, it's super cheap. You know, just everybody has solar panels on their roof just purely for the economics and, mm-hmm. and not sure. necessarily much else. Um, and in the US, it's much, much, much more expensive rooftop yes. solar here. Yeah. And my understanding is the main difference is a soft or the soft costs. So, you know, for installation, but also for, um, you know, permitting and yeah. all these sure. sorts of insurance, insurance. insurance right. Yeah. So I know early on um, in Australia, it, it was I think it was a conservative government, but one of the very, very few good things that they did for the energy transition was that they really worked to standardize the the process and they standardized all the training and certification oh, and everything and yeah, so it's yeah. just simple in most cases i think you only need one visit of someone to physically come to your roof you know everything else they can do remotely and and when they go there it's to you know install it and then it, it works in the way it's expected it's <laughs> yeah. not like that story you're talking yeah, about yeah, where yeah. people get these shocks that yeah, yeah that they've been you yeah, know taken, lied to. yeah so there's no reason why you can't do that for, for batteries as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that the key part is going to be coordinating the, the use of them as well. Because at mm-hmm. the moment, you know, with feed-in tariffs, it's usually just a flat rate. Um, and so, you know, you're making solar energy and selling it back to the grid at whatever rate, but you're not necessarily selling it to the grid when the grid needs electricity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it, when you have batteries involved, there's a possibility to really, you know, help help the grid so you know we sure. saw over the weekend we had requests to voluntarily reduce the amount of energy that we were using to help the the grid well that's that's actually really valuable when people will do that and if you can you know get a lot of homes with batteries or with you know electric vehicles plugged into yeah. the, the grid it's hugely valuable if you can coordinate that and you know have them selling electricity back yeah. to the grid when yeah. you've got this like, real pressure so well, It'll be interesting to see how well we can coordinate it. I know Ford in the U.S., of course, their lightning pickup is, it's exceeding everything that they said in the market. Everybody loves it. Yeah, they're they're saying like, oh, we were supposed to get 300 miles range. We're getting 425. It's like, really positive. But they're, yeah. they've put out a system where now it's like, it's 3595, you know, 3600 bucks from the factory when you, or from the dealership, when you buy your truck, boom, they'll come and install the battery maintainer and the V2X basically system for you. At a flat rate, yep. and I think that getting the support from a you know a major entity such as Ford to bring that to the market that should get more airtime. Mm. I think that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. And we're not very far from where uh, Tesla is. Yeah. yeah, so we're about an hour, hour and a half from uh, the new Cybertruck factory, and I think they're making the Model Three down there. Uh, there's, there's. <laughs> We have a Tesla Insider, by the way, over here. Uh, <laughs> so, the, the, so the, you think that Texas having so much? Well, they're the leader in wind. Yeah, right? twenty four twenty four point three percent of wind in the U.S. is created in Texas. And then the batteries are going to be made here, and then the electric cars will be made here, and the electric yeah. trucks are going to be made in yeah. here. And we're going to launch uh, people to Mars from Texas. Yeah, Texas is open for business. This is crazy right <laughs> yeah. now. It's happening in Texas. The roads are unbelievably busy. Yeah, crazy busy. So. The, the the battery piece may happen in Texas. They may, they may figure out a lot of those pieces I think here in Texas. Actually, the electricity market is set up better for it in Texas. It is. It's, also, it's quite separate. similar to Australia, where it, it really is a lot about the market figuring out what's the you know the cheapest way to <laughs> supply electricity. And I think it's why you see like you wouldn't expect 
Texas to be this really progressive climate change loving state, but they are if it makes money leading. <laughs> if yeah. it makes money, and if it the makes same money. with Australia. Like Australians, yeah. Australians care about um, climate change, but we haven't voted that way. And so the federal government is, you know, so uh, I don't know, antagonistic. Even you'd, you'd say at least definitely not helpful. And yet, you know, the rate of installation in, in Australia is the fastest in the world but now. You, so when you look at uh, permitting in in Texas. Uh, there's so many things here that are that make wind energy easy, easy right? right? Large tracts of landowners. Mm-hmm. You go out in West Texas, and there might be a, a landowner that owns twenty thousand acres of private land. Okay, you just have to sign one guy up yeah. or one family. You know what right. I mean? It's uh, that's easy enough, right? So then you have just a couple other uh, sanctioning bodies, and ERCOT is here, right? The grid is just one small one grid. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a lot easier to to make moves um, in a state that, and then of course, you know, economically. It's easier to get workers here, you know. No state, in, no state income tax. Right. Oh, so that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you got to pay tax. Yeah. Not nice if you want to use tax money. But. Yeah. So I mean, the the advantages to doing and and I'm not normally sorry a Texas like, you know, but the the advantages of doing business here are 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 huge. I mean, you see all the major. I mean. Houston is the energy capital of the world, and now now being touted as the energy transition capital of the world, right? Um, where they're using all those really smart oil and gas engineers to further um, renewable projects. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of things happen in Texas. That's one of the hot places for the podcast is Houston, Texas. You wouldn't think that mm-hmm. in a wind energy podcast, but one of the hottest spots in America where people listen the most yeah. is Houston, Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You would you would never would you have guessed that? I didn't guess that. No, I don't know. I thought, Houston, what? What's what's up with Houston? Yeah. But it is a renewable. Well, you get people like my, myself. Right? I was an oil and gas guy in Houston and transitioned into the renewables side of the business. So uh, there's a lot of, I, I just would put a big umbrella over everybody, call them energy professionals now instead of oil yeah. and gas or renewables or whatever, because you have the background of both. Um, and, it, and it gives a better, more rounded person in the industry. And there's tons of them, tons of people coming over to the renewable side. Yeah. Texas is busy, and then that and that's good. So, I think we're gonna call it here. Uh, thanks, Rosemary, for being in America. <laughs> it's good to see you in person. Uh, thanks, Joel, for being on the podcast. Uh, and uh, we're we're gonna wrap it up here. So, if you're watching on YouTube, you should check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your audio listening platform is. If you're listening on, to us on Apple, one of the audio platforms, you should check us out on YouTube. And while you're there, you should look up Engineering with Rosie because she has a, a great engineering channel. She has a lot about renewable energy and that, that channel is exploding. So you can just join in on the fun there. So we will see you next week on the Uptime Podcast. <laughs>